Welcome to Pilot Boys episode one, two, three. That must make this episode four. We are going to talk about the Lakers. We're going to talk about the Sixers. We're going to talk about Yay, and we're going to talk about Ukraine. And in our deep dive today, after a short break, we're going to talk about power and uh, maybe a little bit of the Kanye version, but a little bit of the other Kanye version as well. So stay tuned for that. Let's go. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. What's going on, bro? What's up, man? We're, uh, we're, we're living in a very interesting world right now. We're living in... A world where most of the things that I took for fact have all been challenged. <laughs> LeBron is, uh, you know, getting booed off his home court. That's rough. You know, we're seeing uh, James Harden looking like he's going to win a ring this year, man. Like, let's talk about the NBA to kick things off. I mean, I think that we we kind of have this this expectation with the Sixers picking up Harden. Obviously, you know, he's he's kind of got this really strange reputation um in the league and you know as an athlete but seeing his energy the clips of him in practice laughing making jokes being fun teaching other people moves like he seems like a damn good teammate bro yeah (laughs) we're starting here right this this is always the case with james harden in new scenarios um we'll see if it has staying power uh he obviously knew he had to come in here with uh, a little bit more um, humility considering how the trade happened. But things went very well with Chris Paul at the outset, if you remember. Things went very well with Russell Westbrook at the outbrook. Things went really well with the Nets at the outset. So, But I do think from a basketball perspective, um, the one-two punch of Harden and Embiid um, – is is pretty unstoppable because you can't double and beat anymore. Um, and um, it, it, defenses will figure this thing out. They're two games in. We will see. They, they beat New York Knicks and uh, I believe the Sacramento Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, uh, we, there's a lot to be out there. But overall, this is, for Sixers fans specifically, this is like the dream of what they – thought so far two games in of what they thought an Embiid Harden partnership would look like let's see how things go a month to two months from now when defenses and teams and coaches are able to scheme uh, better for for them and, and figure this this situation out right now they pretty much can do whatever the fuck they want on that pick and roll and and this is to me, it's like uh, this is what Sixers fans dreamed of so but yeah I'm, not, I'm always cautious still like I feel like we live in a, a time when things are going well, people overreact, and when things are going poorly, people overreact as well. Um, but hopefully this is the situation that Harden finally becomes a good teammate and uh, and wins a ring. Be good for Yeah, him. and I mean, it, it's got me rooting for it too because I'm also a really big Joel Embiid fan. Like the way he carries himself, the way he is, the fans, the kind of player he is, just an underdog through and through. He has a lot, a lot of similarities to Giannis to me in terms yeah. of humble beginnings, his later introduction to basketball as well in his life. And um, 
yeah, just just being the injuries. He's gone through injuries. He's yeah. He he hasn't been always reliable. He's had weight issues, um, but it seems like he's figured out how to be a pro. And in addition to that, I think um, he is slightly different um, than Giannis in the sense that he doesn't mind ruffling feathers as much as uh, Giannis or yeah. anyone else in the league does. But he does it in a um, in a very uh, interesting manner, and it's it's actually what I like to see from. I, I, I like seeing athletes actually be tough and actually care and actually compete um, and look at their opponents as that opponents. Absolutely. And uh, the other thing that's nice is Embiid due to not only, um, you know, the situation at the Sixers, but also due to Ben Simmons, even when he was at his best, um, his general play style has never really been able to have space. And so he's had to develop a very strong outside game for a big man. Um, to be able to space the floor in Philly. And now with a big that has the ability to shoot threes and shoot them well, and James Harden, who is, you know, he can get pretty lights out if he wants to, you have some really, really interesting challenges for um, any sort of um, defense. And then both of these players excel at getting to the free throw line as well. And that's another element of you're talking about the pick and roll. Um I don't know. I mean, I love it. They're, I think they're very similar players in terms of their play style, despite their size difference and position difference. I think they approach the game in similar ways, and it's uh, it's been really fun to check out the highlights. And I haven't gotten to see you know a full game front to back yet, so you know my opinions you know kind of reserved still. But um, this is what we want to see getting ready for the playoffs. We want to see teams get better. We want to see teams improve, and um, you know this is this is what you could dream of as a Sixers fan. Yeah, and it's it supports the notion, you know, a lot of times people I feel like this Ben Simmons is a he's a great player, but I don't think he can be the second star on your team. And I've said this for a long time because he cannot score the basketball in an efficient manner um and spread the spread the court. Um and when you pay someone a max contract um to the degree that they did, the Sixers did with Ben Simmons making him the second max player on the team, the expectations were not met by him. Now he's in a situation now where he can be kind of the third supporting role. And I think we'll see an elevation in his game like we've seen from Andrew Wiggins in Golden State. He's just not built to be a leader. Um, And uh, quite frankly, his behavior and how he handled himself through this situation showcased that. But, you know, hopefully now he's in a better situation and the Sixers did get what they needed, which was somebody else who could be a reliable scorer. Um, Tobias Harris has been inconsistent. He's getting paid a lot of money as well. But James Harden, the thing that you do know is he can put the ball in the bucket regardless of what's going on on or off the court. Yeah, this will be interesting as well because on the on the Simmons side of things, I saw that even at his media day with the Nets, uh, someone asked him to dunk a basketball and he pointed to his back saying that he couldn't. So. Um, there is, you know, kind of this this history of a back injury that, you know, was rumored in the offseason that he was going through. And it does seem like, well, either his PR team has really gotten through to him or he does legitimately have an injury. Either way, what I've read is that he'll be back for the playoffs and the COVID rules will likely be gone by the playoffs as well. And so you'll have a Kyrie back and that makes the Nets a really interesting team. And uh, I'm not sure where the seeds will line out, but um, a net 76ers series would be you know, probably what Adam Silver is sitting there dreaming about from a viewership standpoint. 
Yeah, it seems like the back injury thing, and this is another thing that, you know, we'll see what the, how this plays out, but it seems more to do with the litigation the issue and getting making sure he tries to get his money from the Sixers um, for sitting out and saying it was an injury-related uh, sit-out versus him just not feeling like playing, which, you know, it seems more like that, but you got to play the narrative out, right? So, uh, I mean, if he does have an injury, get well soon. Um, but if he's just doing this, it's again showcases um, the guy that puts me first versus team first. He should be if he's healthy or or seventy, eighty, ninety percent. He needs to get there and get familiar with his teammates as quickly as possible. If he just shows up in the playoffs without having played a single game with any of his teammates, I don't see how that's helpful this year for the Nets. Yeah, on well, the Nets, I mean, in general, like if you're going to add Kyrie into the mix a couple weeks before playoffs, which is how it's likely going to be as well. You're going to have two brand new players who both, you know, granted both are facilitators, but two brand new players entering the mix who have just not played with the team really at all, all season. It's going to be an yeah. interesting, interesting year for the Nets. And you got to feel for KD, man. Like, dude is having the best years of his career and the, his teammates are just nowhere to be found. Maybe this is his karma for choosing Golden State. <laughs> He's like, okay, you took the easy route. Like, now we're going to make it as hard as possible for you yeah. to ever you win. You got your chips, and uh, that's it. Yeah. yeah you, took mean, the, you took the easy way, and now you've got the impossible way. Yeah, you feel for him because he's a great player, but, you know, it's it's part of the process. Now, we're we were talking with the Super Bowl about an L.A. team that did a great job putting all their chips on the table and knowing when it's time to go all in. And uh, I think when you look at the Lakers, it was not the right time to go all in at all for this organization. And they're suffering the consequences. And, you know, from from the standpoint of somebody who you know is a major LeBron fan, big Lakers fan as a result, big A.D. fan as well, I think when the A.D. trade went down, my biggest question was he's a very injury prone player. And that has just been haunting him for his whole career, unfortunately. And knowing that you're trading three very talented young players in Ingram, Lonzo, and Josh Hart for AD, which is how that trade went down. That was a bold move. And it was Plus a draft picks, right? Plus draft picks. And granted, they did win the ring in, uh, in the bubble. So it did work out. But I think what we're seeing now is not only is AD's body not able to allow him to play that role he needs to play the Lakers as really being the main guy, which is what LeBron wanted him there to be. But them adding Westbrook and trading more young talent in Caru and letting Caruso go and letting some of the really, really talented young players go seems to have been the wrong strategy for the Lakers as they just don't have the support around these guys for them to play well. And these guys are all aging, so they can't do the same thing they could five years ago when Russell Westbrook was the MVP and, you know, LeBron was bringing the Cavs back from a three to one deficit. It's just, just different now. Yeah. I just don't think that the Lakers anymore for a long time. I used to, there was a time when they had like um, the, the Showtime Lakers and then even the late show Lakers with Nick Van Exel, Eddie Jones, they were an organization that built, um, built teams. Now they just try to buy teams. Um, and they actually were, were once they went all in on LeBron, it's like, okay, to succeed with LeBron, you have to have strong personalities in the front office because I do think that 
you know, whether it's a, whether you call it a personality flaw or whether you want to criticize him for it, LeBron likes to have control over what LeBron is involved in, right? Um, whether that's his business, whether that's on the court, he is going to impact um, the GM and the decision-making um, as well. And quite frankly, I think that Rob Palenka is not a very good GM uh, because he doesn't know how to balance um what's best for the team or know what's best for the team um, combined just because he was an agent and, and Kobe's agent doesn't mean that he knows how to build a culture and an organization um, the right way. Um, and then you look at the Lakers ownership, none of them really know too much They They lean heavily on the people that they hire to know what they need to do to build a winner. Um, and nothing was more, evident in why the Lakers are where they're at this year specifically, how do you, just from a basic analysis standpoint, you've got AD and you've got LeBron, both guys that eat the ball up, and you're going to add a third player in Kevin in, in Russell Westbrook who needs to dominate the wall to be, um, to be great. And a lot of this blame has been fouling unfairly on Russell Westbrook simply because the coach and the GM, they have not built this team to succeed. Um, in addition, the AD trade, you know, people were always saying when the Lakers won that championship, is this thing going to be an asterisk? And the truth is, I always thought it would be an asterisk because of the AD. It just worked out perfectly, right? AD just needed to be perfect for like, to be healthy for like six weeks, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that worked out for the Lakers in the bubble. But since that bubble championship this team isn't even good they're not they're not even competitive yeah. and that's what's sad to see with a team with lebron westbrook and ad how you cannot as a front office and as a coaching staff put together a game plan or something that makes the fans want to watch the game lakers fans are notoriously fickle we know about that but these boos and jeers are warranted right it's expensive to go to lakers games and when you're seeing them get blown out by 30 points and the effort isn't there, um, the, the players need to be held accountable for it. There's certain things that are lines that shouldn't be crossed, but it was really sad to see the other day the players kind of like responding to the fans and like having conversations with the fans. Why don't you just focus on trying to cut that lead down from 30 points to 15 points and at least making it respectable? Instead, it seems like when things go wrong, they double down on, and just accept their fate versus having the pride um, to bounce back. And, and quite frankly, this is going to be a real test of um, LeBron's legacy, not LeBron's legacy as an all-time great, but he's made it very clear he wants to go down as the greatest player of all time. Um, and right now that's that's being severely threatened. How the rest of his career plays out is going to determine um, – a lot in terms of that conversation. Don't think you he cemented himself as one of the top five players, but his personal goal seems to be and self-proclaimed goal is to be the greatest of all time, um, and that seems to be um, in danger right now. Yeah, and I think what we'll see in in the coming you know coming year or two, he's got a couple years left on his contract. We may see LeBron pull a Tom Brady. You know, he may have this realization that I kind of blew it here. Maybe I just need to jump somewhere, let my excellence do the talking, a team that's actually well-built, that has you know, great young guys, and come in and help them win a chip. You know? And maybe that's a team like Memphis. You know what I mean? 
where he can make a quick move, get a, get to a team that's top, you know, top three in their conference and give them the edge that they need to win a championship in the playoffs with his experience and with his wisdom from his time there. And, you know, if I'm if I'm LeBron, that's what I'm doing is I'm I'm calling Tom Brady. I'm saying, hey, man, like, what did you do when you ran into issues in in, you know, in your Patriots career, in the off years, in the times where things weren't working out? Like, obviously, he had a much better system around him than the Lakers have. And I think the Lakers, as well as an organization, really need to revisit the way they think about hiring their GMs in front office because there's a tremendous amount of priority placed on people who are, you know, very close to the bus family. Yeah. Seeing Rob Palinka, like I'll give you one example. Today just came out that the way that they released DeAndre Jordan uh, actually lost them $5 million and lost them. They took a cap hit for it. And if they had just traded him, which they could have traded him to many teams by including cash compensation, which would have been much less than the five million, they could have probably done it for one million or even five hundred k. It's essentially, I'll pay you this amount of money to take this player. They wouldn't have undergone the cap hit. They wouldn't have undergone, you know, this this cash loss. And just goes to show that there there is not a lot of attention to detail happening in the front office because these are kind of fundamental front office task that you should be on top of, which is knowing your deadlines, knowing your cap hits, and knowing how to make these moves. The conversations that seem to be had are probably between Rob Palinka and Clutch Sports, essentially having a power battle when yep. really they should be about, hey, how do we get this team to win a championship, not who's calling the shots. Yeah, and that's the dangerous part of, um, of this situation, right? You have to have a... Where LeBron has thrived is when there's been somebody strong in the front office, Miami with uh, Pat Riley, David Griffin, people who are going to challenge him and not just coalesce to his thinking all the time. That's how great organizations are built. Um, him being in the room is one thing, but him controlling the room and controlling everything, he's, he's looking at things from his vantage point. And um, and that's also going to be the problem for him, quite frankly. This is different than Tom Brady um, in the sense that I think that a lot of these elite teams, like even him going back to Cleveland, how would he disrupt what they're building there? How would he disrupt what they're building in Memphis? Because if he goes to a team like that, suddenly LeBron and everything that comes with LeBron becomes the narrative, right? Yeah. And, and recently he said – you know, it's, you know, and you can take this for what it's worth. One thing about, um, I think, LeBron James um, is this, is that whether you like him or you dislike him, he is always going to control his narrative and how things play out. And he understands, we'll talk about this a little bit later, he understands how to exercise his power um, and get the best for him and the people that are around him. And you can, you can, it's, it's interesting to me that he gets knocked for it so much, but in business and in, in the rest of the world, um, the way power is evaluated, it would be glorified, like even the ownership, right? You do what's best for you, always. That's what teams do. They'll cut a player that's given them 15 years, you know, and, and cut them on a whim. But when it's a player taking that control, it's just an interesting narrative. And the most recent example is obviously with him kind of, playing the game to make sure his son gets drafted into the NBA, right? He's like a borderline. I think he's a top 40 uh, college prospect right now. So that doesn't even put him necessarily as a guaranteed draft pick in the first or second round. But when LeBron exercises his 
the statement that I'm going to play my final year with my son, that could incentivize a team to go take him in the second round, right? Even if they weren't. Ticket sales and jersey sales, it would incentivize a team. Yep. And so you, you, the question is, is that fair or not? Is that the right thing to do? And, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is to it, you know? The, the other side of it, too, uh, you saw LeBron highly complimenting Cleveland during All-Star break. And yeah. that could be a very, very serious landing spot for LeBron and Bronny about two and a half years from now. And, you know, if I, if I were to bet what's going to happen – I think Cleveland drafts Bronny. I think LeBron is a free agent. Goes to Cleveland, signs for the vet men, and does his thing. Yeah, it's just I'm I'm very con- interested because it seems like that Cavs team, and they've been outward in saying it. The players is that they're trying to establish an identity without LeBron James. That they are going to be a great because they're right now number two, number three in the East. Absolutely. How the, this is going to be the question for any team that brings in LeBron at this phase of their career is if his career is, is it going to disrupt what we have? Because he is a dominant force. You have to build your team around his strengths. If he comes, comes on board. That's, that's other part of it is that in another two years of this shit show in LA, is he a very different person having been humbled by just this abysmal situation he put himself in? And does he look at things differently with the wisdom, with the maturity that he gains? Would he be okay going to Cleveland at 39, 40 years old, coming off the bench as a sixth man? Exactly. Shoot a few threes, help carry the bench and make sure that you're not losing points when the bench is out. Make sure that you're you know, net positive on those minutes and let the guys play. Yeah. Yeah. And coach and, 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 and help them become the best versions of themselves. You know, we'll see, we'll see how this whole thing plays out, but, that, just, Evie, that cements his legacy for me. That, yeah. that does it. That puts him at GOAT. Yeah, if he's got the humility, if he's got the humility to do that and then Cleveland wins a rank when he gets there, then his legacy gets cemented. But yeah. again, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. He he wields a lot of power. Um, he exercises it and he operates. He operates according. I, I think he took a position very early on in his career that I'm going to operate how the system operates. You know, within the business construct of this business of basketball. And I think, you know, he gets a lot of criticism for that. But I look at it as, you know, when you get when you get into when you get into a ring with vultures, you have to be a vulture yourself sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's jump topics to, uh, to yay. Um, we have this genius documentary out on Netflix. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's watching it. Um, you know, I, I think Kanye, someone who I've had a pretty varied opinion of in the last several years is really, really starting to establish himself as one of the greatest artists of all time. In my opinion, with the way his he's developing, you know, the streaming tool through the, the device for the Donda album, the way he's building the sets that he's performing at. I mean, these sets are brilliant. There's never been anything like it in hip-hop, not even close. The way he is able to cultivate media narrative around his own narrative, it's just it's a masterclass in understanding PR, communications, media, and what people actually want as opposed to what they say they want. And it's, you know, whether you like it or not, 
I don't think there's ever been anybody better. Yeah, I mean, I think there's this this catch-22 we have as a society where we want to like people. And we want – and we also like to hate people, right? So it's like I think Kanye has figured out that none of this shit really matters. You know what I mean? Like – and how to just manipulate the system um, to his benefit. Right. And then the most recent example is what happened. He basically declared war on the streaming services and said, I'm not going to release my album on there. Turned down a significant, I don't know if it was a hundred million, like it's being reported. I don't believe that, I don't no believe that either. No um, but he, as a result of that, Spotify, his numbers on Spotify and Apple, obviously the genius documentary, he knows how to draw attention to himself. And when you look at him through the realm of entertainment and you don't evaluate him like you would a, a, a political leader or somebody who's responsible for your life, it becomes a lot easier to digest him. Because the thing that's different about him than like some of these other rappers that I see who don't really have a lot of talent, um, who just are famous because they have good brand deals or they have marketing deals or they put on the cover of magazines. I'm not going to say any names, but that is a, the culture. What Kanye has is he's the best artist of his generation. And the talent is there in addition to the marketing and the attention-seeking behavior, all of that. Like I've went back and through the documentary, I've realized why I fell in love with this dude. And then also the idea of if you really want something from this world, you have to chase that without shame, you know, and he does that, you know, and it's like, he's, it's not like he's not pushing the culture forward or the narrative forward. And even the controversial things that he says and has said in the past. The one thing I look back on says it's, they've all forced us to have important conversations with each other um, about him. He's not afraid to be like, the scapegoat for a conversation, you know? So he's, yeah. I've always said there's a little bit of craziness with every genius. Um, but I think that there's more logic to what he does than most people understand. He just does not care about what most people think about him. And because he genuinely doesn't care, he can, he can then manipulate everything to benefit and create the noise that he needs to create. And it's, it's a lot like, I, I understand why him and Donald Trump are, or admire each other and friends because that's what Donald's able to do. He's obviously got far less talent in anything. He's failed businessman, failed at everything he's done, um, except for exploit the financial system of America. But, you know, they are very similar in knowing how to understand how this country actually operates and exploit the value that they need from it. Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately like to me, even his mistakes, Kanye is good at spinning. Yeah. And I, that's the thing is like some people feel he's, you know, genius to the extent that everything's intentional. I don't believe that one bit. Like seeing the dude with Botox all up in his face, seeing him go, you know, go into the yeah. hospital. Like these are not things that are on purpose. This is a man struggling with his own mind, trying to find peace at the same time that doesn't take away his understanding of what we all want as a society, which he has constantly since his, his start as an artist made hits, made songs that everybody loves, made 
performances everybody loves, done things that make us ask the right questions in society. And he's able to even take his mistakes and turn them into these bigger questions. Yeah. And not only that, I think at the end of the day, his pursuit and his goal is to leave a positive impact on the world, not a negative one. He, he makes mistakes along the way. And clearly, even if you watch the Genius documentary, you can see that the guy has issues. He's been through a lot of people who've been told they aren't shit in life when they do become something. Oftentimes you see this happen, like this kind of doubling down on like, well, I see what this shit really is. And so, and it's similar. LeBron's much more measured, but it's like, I know what this game is. I know what I went through. I, I, I see it. And as a result of it, I'm going to exploit it to the fullest. And I just think that if, if you don't respect it, whether you like him or not, it comes down to ex exactly this. Do you respect this man and the contribution he's made to your your life? And I think anybody who's lived in the last 20, 25 years that's in touch with music, in touch with culture, cannot answer that question in anything except for Kanye has made an impact on my life. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's, you know, it's an amazing takeaway. Um on, on you know kind of the other side of things we have seen this um, battle going on uh, overseas between Russia and the Ukraine um, pretty pretty crazy noise happening around it but kind of the main takeaway is that Ukraine has really shown an amount of resilience that I think is inspiring not on the same level as you know watching watching the Kanye doc or watching anything like watching anybody stand for something and give their all for it is inspiring in this world. And Ukraine's citizens, their president, um, even their boxers, you know, giving up their careers, going over there to fight on the front lines. People from all over the world, Ukrainian citizens, Ukraine born, flying back to be part of the military and to stand up for their country. I've never seen anything like it. And the conversation came up for us the other day, like, if this was America, would that even be happening? And the answer is not. It's no. That's just not the kind of country we live in. We don't have that same kind of pride in, in, in the Ukraine. This is, it's a very different type of country and it's, it's just, it's incredible to see how much passion they have. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's everything that's happening in the world, right? When things like this happen, um, it's hard. People always look for meaning in terms of what is happening. I think this is seeing what's happening in Ukraine is very inspiring in this sense and sad it's inspiring and sad, right? It's inspiring to see people really have love for their country and stand for something beyond themselves. Some of these guys, you know, you see Vladimir Klitschko and, and Vitaly Klitschko, you know, holding retirement. They're, they're in, they're actually fighting, you know what I mean? Um, and these guys easily could get passes and go live in their residence in London or somewhere else and move get their families. But they're staying there and there's this sense of like you know and i feel like there's this loss overall in culture of pride in what you do and pride in what you represent I feel like everybody is willing to sell those things to get ahead to see this and i think this is a flashpoint for culture to look at what's happening in ukraine and say what type of person do you want to be what do you want to represent and it's sadly in the united states you know and i was telling you this was a little bit before your time but there was that sense of, you know, no matter how much internal division there was in this country, there were moments in time when things happened, whether it was a war, you know, the Gulf War, that 9-11, pe 
you saw the country truly come together. And I just don't think, I think we're so doubled down on division and everybody is like going into their corners and media is obviously creating this opportunity, not just in America, specifically for us as American citizens, though, to reflect and say, we're in trouble as a culture and as a society because what would happen if a similar threat came to our door? Would we be unified? Would we, would we, would we all say, you know what? Would our president go and, and take up arms if he needed to? Would he do it? Yeah. These are the, and that to me is what was the by far most inspiring part of the whole thing is seeing the Ukrainian president on like with his people fighting. Yep. On the front lines, doing what's necessary. That just I I I don't know another world leader that would be doing that. And to push the world forward, you know, and we've had this conversation a lot. So I just feel like we don't have the culture has eroded the opportunity for revolutionaries and revolutionary thinkers um, who actually make impact on the world. Um, and seeing this gives me, I think this guy gives us, is one of those people that can give inspiration to the world of, of stand for something, even if you're going to lose your life over, even if, what are your principles and what principles are you willing to die for or sacrifice for. And I think that idea of sacrifice um, is something and, and sacrifice for, for something greater than self is something that the whole world can really learn from. Absolutely. On that note, let's, let's take a pause. Uh, we will be back shortly to do a deep dive on the psychology of power. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. Welcome back to our deep dive. This is Pilot Boys 123, and we're going to talk about the psychology of power. This is the Kanye Power V. Kanye Power, Putin Power. We're dealing with we're dealing a lot with a lot of power uh, power struggles. Fifty cent power, uh. power <laughs> struggles, power couples, power everything. Everything everything is about the power, right? It's two things that two things that uh, that drive society and drive people is power and money, right? Uh, oftentimes, people focus on the money, but more important, the power that comes with the money, right? And what we often see is 
people either get power without being psychologically prepared for it and they don't know how to handle it or when they get power their psychological weaknesses and flaws or narcissism gets exposed um, and fortunately or unfortunately the power masks accountability right um, yes. and that that seems to be the danger um, with power as uh, the famous famous line goes with great power comes great responsibility uh peter parker <laughs> yes absolutely well uncle ben actually yes ben. he's speaking to peter parker yes. yes you know i mean it's it's weird because power is one of those things that i think people are obsessed with in american culture it's all over our tv it's all over our, our news it's all over our music it's all over every form of entertainment that's it's a weird concept because i think uh it tell me if you feel differently b but I think growing up as a minority, especially as a child of immigrants, power was never brought up in the household. Like it was never about power. It was about survival. It was about yeah. it, was like, it was about understanding that we were powerless compared to, you know, the average person. And so it was a more more of, a, you know, a, a values focused, happiness focused upbringing as a result of just this subconscious acknowledgement that power was not something we really could chase in this country especially from you know kind of how my parents came up and as i look at the world now i think power is less in the mainstream than it was in the 80s and 90s like i remember movies like wall street right where it's all about money and power and like you want you want that or like even shows like i remember watching suits growing up like su such a sick show but they're just fighting about who runs this company and like I've run across one or two people in business that are like that in real life. And it's actually been a shock. But I will say that it's one of those things that when it comes up in the narrative, like it is these days with Putin and with everything going on in Russia, it's super, super strange to me. I, I just can't fathom why somebody would risk all of the things they have just to have authority over somebody else. Yeah, it's fascinating, and it's a it's it's a personality trait, right? It's a human a human trait that um, has actually destroyed our society since the beginning of man. You know, we talk about we've had empires, we've had colonists, we've had slave owners in this country. You know, this concept and belief um, that a small group of people or one person should control the outcome and the lives of so many other people, right? Um, this idea that, A, either they know better or they are bigger, stronger, and therefore must force people to bend to their will. Um, and it's always been strange to me, too, because I think it's born out of insecurity. Um, there really is no need, um, when you go to the base of nature, for any two people to collide with each other and for there to be a power structure between those two people. But, um, you know, there, there's so many things that have come up with the idea of like survival of the fittest and, and, and all of these things in which I think people have misused, um, basically because I think there's a flaw in, in, in the wiring or programming of the human mind for when people start to be glorified or have adulation, there becomes, there's something gets crossed in here. Um, 
and it results in so much collateral damage. Um, and you look at that with this situation with Putin, Russia is perfectly fine without the Ukraine. They're still one of the world's super largest superpowers. You know, they are, the Europe is very dependent on their natural resources. So why, is, why are you doing this now um, at a time in which the world is relatively peaceful? We didn't think um, that we were in an age anymore of this kind of like archaic approach to warfare. We thought shut down, you shut down people's computers. You don't, you don't send a hundred thousand soldiers and tanks into yeah. a country. You use drones. You do this. It's very like, I, I don't, it, it has to be built out of that concept of, I need to establish how powerful of a human being I am more so than there seems to be any real like strategic reason or, or <laughs> logical reason for this. Right. Yeah, the, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that when you see something like this, it also brings the forward the notion of pride, which is usually heavily tied in with the pursuit of power. But I think you see Putin as a 70 year old guy who, you know, is is pretty far beyond his prime in his life, his height of his his power, if you will. And he wants it back before he passes. And I think it's it's a tough and sobering realization to realize that the past is the past sometimes. And um, I think with this generation of world leaders, like we also have to remember Putin's one of the oldest world leaders. And when I say oldest, I don't mean like in age, but I mean it, he has been in power for quite a while now compared yeah. to many of the other countries who have cycled leaders in this, in this period of time. So this is kind of the last of the old guard in a sense that does you know, operate to this degree and in this particular flavor of pursuit of power, whereas the current generation of leaders likes to move differently, more behind the scenes versus, you know, sending a bunch of tanks to a border. Yeah. Yeah. And then also to um, to continue, there's a, you know, although, you know, evil is evil and every day people are dying from bombs and, and missiles launched by the powers of the world. Um, this is very unique in the, in the sense that I don't understand what Ukraine, what type of threat Ukraine actually poses to Russia. They're, he's claiming that they're a threat. They're a threat. Why? Because they want to join the European Union because, uh, <laughs> they, because they might become a NATO member. Like there isn't, they don't have nuclear weapons. You know, they don't have the population or military to pose any real threat. They're not really threatening Russia's interests. So this is truly, as you said, a psychological thing with this guy in which, you know, if you know the history, this guy was, you know, the head of the KGB um, during the height of the Cold War era. So he does have that kind of belief system that it should be the USSR. And I think this is like, as he ages, it's like this desperate plea ploy by an old man that, hey, I'm going to take our country back or our, our, our place back in the world. And the truth is they have not lost their place in the world. For him and his cronies and friends, their power has become almost completely unchecked in a way that it wasn't 
um, during the Cold War. There isn't as much of a threat to their power. They, they say that this guy, if his true wealth was actually revealed, would be, you know, double or triple the worth of an Elon Musk or or a, um, you know, that that's what's being said. If and and despite having all of that, to still feel this level of insecurity clearly is something that I don't understand about power is why do these guys never seem to understand what enough is right and yeah. and it's it's also true for these you know we did a breakdown you and I did a breakdown of Jeff Bezos's wealth in 2021 and how it rose and we broke it down all all the way down to his hourly wage or his daily wage this guy could change people's lives every single day by just giving a million dollars away to the lucky person or even just giving $20,000 to, you know, a whole bunch of different startups and just saying that, but that's not how he exercises his power. He he exercises his power and oftentimes very selfish and self, self, um, self gaining ways only, you know what I mean? That's Um, interesting too. the dynamic of power here, because you have, uh, Putin at Russia, who is extremely self-centered. It's all about him, right? And yeah. I think that's what we're seeing is that it's about filling this hole in his heart that he's never been able to fill. And, you know, um, TLDR for the listeners, uh, it's happiness. That's the answer. He's not happy. Yep. So on the flip, in the Ukraine, you have a leader with, you know, some power, obviously not same same scale because it's a smaller country, blah, blah, blah. But still a powerful relative to his people. He's he's the chosen leader and he is on the ground fighting with the troops. He's in the battlefield being a true servant leader. And so yeah. that's the other kind of power. And they always talk about there's two types of power. There's one that you take and there's one that comes to you when you try to let go of control. And the Ukrainian leader has that second type and Putin has the first type that you take. And we're in this era. This is my this is you know, this is me just kind of injecting a little personal belief in. But I think that we are in the end of the era of leaders like Putin. I think over the next 30 years, we're going to see a a transition of cultural values that's happening at a higher pace than ever because the Internet and how we trade ideas uh, across the world that is going to put in a group of leaders from the millennial and Gen Z generation that still may not be perfect human beings, but will be approaching it in a much more beneficial way to society than the the leaders of World War II, Cold War, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, that is the hope that through, through this that we see growth, right? Um, but the reality of, of power and power in history and continued power is that real power is in always seems to be in the hands of a very small group of people, true power, true economic power, true um, power to change, to make enact change. Um, And the question that I have about that is why is it um, that these people are so fearful of just doing the right thing? versus thinking that power is something that you need to protect. Like, for example, United States, how do we protect our power in the world? It's not through diplomacy. We put that out there and say, we're trying to spread democracy through the world. But the reality is that we do so by 
having more guns, more bombs, more everything than everyone else. So we say it's diplomacy, but, and it's the same. If you look at the three major superpowers in the world, why do they have the power? It's kind of a harsh reality to understand. It's because they have the biggest guns. Yeah. And how does that change? Well, and, and here's does what it ever change in, you know, global superpower dynamic is you have China who plays the game totally differently. They have power as a result of essentially owning the world financially. Yeah. And China's game, you know, this is this was like the initial narrative is like, well, if Putin takes Ukraine, will China take Taiwan next? And it's like, no, China's too smart to take Taiwan. China is never going to use military as a show of means. They're just going to slowly fund the world till everybody owes them money, and then eventually everything will become China. Yeah. That yeah. Is, it's a much smarter play if you're looking for world domination. But it just goes to show that the pursuit of power can take many, many different looks. And it's not, it's not always what the the media wants to show you as like the bad guy, right? Like whatever Putin's doing, we're doing equally bad things, probably worse things all around the world that we're never ever told about. Yeah. Yeah. Now I do think what what's very unique about this situation too is Putin is showing Putin is showing a a, a show of force here because if there's this concept of democracy is something that Europe and, and NATO and the UN is trying to protect, you have Ukraine, who, as you said, their president, um, through a, a democratic election, won 75% of the vote. So his people really want him in power through a democratically uh, system um, and an honorable system came to power, yet we're seeing this show of force from this man, but because he has nuclear weapons, the rest of the world just sits on their hands and lets it happen. It's going to happen. It might cost a lot of soldiers to Russia, but it looks like it's just a matter of time. The resistance that Ukraine is offering is great, but you eventually have, have to lose when they're sending this many troops, this many guns, this many missiles at you. And they're not willing to stop and they're not telling you what the reason is. What does that do to the idea of democracy in the rest of the world? That is my fear, too, about this situation is, are we going to see um, another cycle of this happening where the world has been at peace for such a long, relative peace, right? No, no, like major wars happening um, throughout the world between nations. For this to happen now, it's like it puts us in a in an odd situation. Is as if this continues, is it going to force the hand for the rest of the world to go to war? Because I don't think he's going to stop it, the Ukraine. Well, it's an interesting one for sure. I mean, I think it's also interesting because a lot of what I've seen of videos from from Ukraine, obviously, there's a ton of destruction and wreckage. Um, but there's also a lot of farcical media of yeah. Russian troops, of their ineptitude, of how how quickly they surrender, right? How lost they are going through the country. And I, I just saw a video right before we recorded this of somebody driving through the Ukraine, pulls over to a tank where some Russian soldiers are standing and literally like it's just stopping in the middle of the road. And he's like, what's up? 
they're like, it ran out of gas. And they're just standing there. He's like, do you know where you're going? And they're like, no, which way is this way? And he's like, to Kiev. And I, I'm just wa- I'm watching this and it's like, it's weird. It's like, it's weird to the reports are coming out that, I mean, obviously we talked about, I think it was, was it on the pod about the motivation difference between the Ukrainian people versus the Russian people? Yeah. I believe we talked about it on this, but um, I mean, it's, it's just a weird, weird fight. I think everybody I else think, well, yeah. is like, what the hell is this guy thinking? I think even internally, and this is where, like, when you talk about, you know, how Putin has maintained his power, it's been through force. It's been through f- fear. If you if you don't agree with him, you die, you know. Um, and he's not afraid of having that reputation either. You know, it's like yeah. he, he owns it. You know what I mean? In a very interesting way way it's like this guy is authentically who he is um and we've also allowed it and the world has allowed him to kind of build up this this kind of power over these years and it's weird because i don't think he's this doesn't make sense and it's like what is his end game here like what is the long-term plan here um and, and, and where do we where does the rest how does the rest of the world respond because it's like it's not easy hearing reports of this army going in and attacking civilians civilian structures and just killing innocent human beings like for what gain and nobody's doing anything about it we're just letting ukrainians like defend themselves or fend for themselves because the rest of the world is scared of this guy's nuclear arsenal and that's really what it is yeah that's i mean that's absolutely true and i think What's interesting is that the EU application that the Ukraine filed yesterday has an interesting wrinkle because if they get accepted into Europe, it changes the situation in terms of the aid that they will receive. And, you know, I think from a geography standpoint, it is more appropriate for Europe to get involved first before the United States were to get involved. And of course, that that would be the next step in escalation. But I think. Europe has to have some questions answered on their own side because that is a serious step up. That makes this a much larger controversy in the scope of things. And to your point, V, it's like, will people be able to stand idly by? And should they? Like, that's a tough one as well Is knowing that if you do get involved to see something wrong, it escalates the scale of things, which heightens the risk of many, many more deaths of many, many more civilians who, you know, likely have no real connection to this battle this situation at all and i think that's what every other political leader is weighing is this is wrong but at the same time like what risk do i put my people in if i get involved yeah and and that goes back to what you were talking about the psychology of power is very interesting because when you get power also this is the flip of it we've talked about about the issues personally that people have with power but i think there are also some very unique challenges that come with power that I don't think people fully appreciate until they have a certain level of power, because there are so many questions you need to answer, so many decisions you need to constantly make, so many things that you need to weigh, and it's almost impossible to satisfy everyone. We see this in our country, right? We have our elections barely go 51, 49, 52 you know, they're not like 
ever decided like this is the person we really want in power you know what i mean um and it's uh it's 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 just it's interesting because i do have some sympathy and this is why for me in my personal life i never would want that much power right like i don't want to have that much responsibility for my decision making having that much impact because i don't think any one person or small group of people is capable of honestly making the best decisions for that many people at one time. And we just need to reevaluate, you know, what power structures we actually need in society. Right. Especially and, with the advent of automation, AI, the ability to solve a lot of our problems with technology to your point, it allows you to build more regionalized power structures that are more um, specific to situations as opposed to something generalized and broad due to essentially like a lack of lack of communication ability that existed hundreds of years ago. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that's been thrown around a lot in this situation that's been interesting to me is whenever we see a story about, you know, Germany sending one billion dollars in arms the U.S. sending $1 billion in arms to Ukraine, you know, I'm all for the support. But my question is, is during a during a global pandemic where all countries are threatening, are, are suffering financially, your realization of how much power we put into these governments to just spend money, our money, in whatever way they deem fit. There's no check system of checks and balances. If they want to send $50 billion in aid to some country, they can, you know? Yeah, uh, that's been that's been the, the trick is defense, you know? Yeah. In the name of defense, we do so many things. And even after, um, after 9-11, we saw so many of our rights, our data privacy, our, you know, our ability to be individuals go away to an extent like you can't say certain things on the phone with your friends in this country just not it doesn't work you know what i mean you you will get an fbi agent listening to your calls for a while and like that's not it's not conjecture i have friends in the government who have told me that hey don't say xyz on the phone otherwise people will be listening to you for this period of time you know what i mean and that's that's how it is like that's crazy to me that in the name of defense you can just kind of do whatever the fuck you want and that's the reality of, you know, the downside of power is that in the name of it, you can justify, you know, in the name of anything that would be good for the people you're supposed to protect, you can justify quite a bit. And there's this, you know, kind of other question that comes, which is, okay, I'm entrusted to protect these people and I'm responsible for them. But to what extent is my responsibility and like i think this goes to the ukraine question as well like these are our fellow people these are all human beings here on both yeah. sides and it's a sad state of affairs so to what extent is our responsibility actually to fight in this war versus to stand idly by and empathize because sometimes in life you're not supposed to get involved in things you're just supposed to observe and understand and learn and grow from things. And I think that's the other side of this is like, yeah, we all want to stop the person who's getting bullied. That's for sure. You know, that's kind of a human nature type thing. But there are certain at certain times in life where joining a, a altercation puts your people 
at, at risk, right? And it's like, even the way you want to protect your people can put them at great risk or can, you know, make them feel violated in certain ways. And it's just a tough line to draw when you have people who have the ability to make decisions that other people cannot make. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a very good point. And, you know, the scary thing that I think about oftentimes is that because the power structures exist the way that they are. And because, as you said, you know, technology is advancing to the level that it's advancing, the actual need for human beings is declining, right? Even, and when you have small groups of people controlling most of the power, you know, that's where these questions come to rise is, you know, how do you as a human being, when you are not in those power structures, continue to fight for <laughs> your ability, just your ability to continue uh, to have a place and have a voice and have something in in society beside the value of your data that these companies can extract. It's like it doesn't seem like human beings have much value to power and money in this world beyond that. Yeah. And I would bet you the majority of people in Russia do not have any desire to be involved in this altercation. Yeah, yeah, they just can't say it. Like, why would they want? Why would they want their kids and their teenagers going to a war with somebody who's not even threatening them? It's one thing to defend yourself. Yeah, you know, and it's not, you know, that, and that's to me that's the upside of world politics these days. Countries don't threaten each other these days. It's just not happening that much with Russia. That's been the kind of one main thing that's been lingering. But again, with Russia, I think. There's there's the additional challenge of, again, a leader who rose to power during the Cold War. His his entire worldview is from a time and a place when countries and people operated drastically differently than we do now. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And even in his even in his like justification, right, in terms of he doesn't want Ukraine to join NATO, um, you know, and people compare this to what happened with the. Uh, Cuban Missile Crisis and how we reacted when Russia tried to set up missiles in, in Cuba and, you know, how we shut that down and destroyed, just essentially destroyed, uh, destroyed the country of Cuba for, for decades to follow. But at the, in this scenario, there are no nuclear weapons. There are no missiles being set up in Ukraine. This is like, as you said, it harkens back to his, like, fear-based mentality of the Cold War that everybody is trying to set up shop. They want this neighbor set up so that they can attack us. Um, not realizing that most of the world doesn't look at, at military conflict as something that, that they want. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, you people, don't, people don't care about conquest anymore. You could run a survey of, of Americans. You could run it of Europeans. You could probably run it of Russians if they're willing to answer honestly anywhere in the world and say, hey, do you want your country to take over another country? No, nobody gives a shit. Yeah. People Just want focus on making our country, our country yeah. the best that it possibly can be. And that's what's really frustrating about this scenario is looking at this situation and realizing what the world has been dealing with for the last two years and the fact that we're still not on the other side of this thing economically you know to then create these issues at a time where we have really have bigger problems um again is another thing about about power 
that is confusing and, and, and you know, kind of like the final segue I have is, do you think that it is in human nature to be given great power and actually be responsible with it? Or do you think that it is in human nature to be compromised um, by power and adulation? Well, we do have tremendous power as human beings. We just don't usually access it. You know, it's we have incredible gifts that come with our bodies, that come with our consciousness that many of us don't ever access in our lifetimes. And when it comes to the the you know the physical plane, sorry if I get too metaphysical for y'all listening, but in the physical plane, our souls have a desire to expand, to be infinite. When you translate that desire, it's an innate desire. It's the same desire that gets you up in the morning. It's the same desire that makes you want to live. It's the one that makes you want to improve every day, want to get better, want to grow. That's an infinite yearning within you. That's a beautiful power you're gifted with. To put that into the physical world, to try to have infinite money, infinite control, infinite empire, doesn't work. It always doesn't work because you're always going to try and impose your will on others. And it's, it's just not what you're meant to do as a human being. If you translate that yearning to your happiness, to the spiritual side of your life, you find tremendous happiness and joy. And many of the problems of this world just evaporate very, very yeah. quickly. And I think this is, you know, when you really look at a lot of struggle, it's it's all kind of the same. It's people trying to take this yearning for more within themselves and try to put it into the things that they see or that they touch or that they feel, which just shows me they're not in touch with who they really are deep down. Yeah, that's a great point, you know, and I think to, to kind of expand on it in a simpler, a simpler way is this, right? It's to conquer oneself is the greatest challenge we have in life, right? And if you're spending your time focused on how to conquer others, you're missing the point of the battle, which is how do you conquer oneself? What's going on in here? What's going on? What's preventing you from optimizing yourself? Um, and you bring up a great point that people, it's, it's very fascinating, too, to see somebody like Putin be able to garner so much power simply because he's very insecure with himself. Yeah. And that kind of power, it's not the power that will make people come around you and have a good time and be joyous. Yeah. He's, he's created a life of misery and suffering for himself in his quest to conquer the world or conquer others or conquer whatever he's trying to conquer. And I think that's, that's part of the takeaway. It's, you know, it's an ancient Indian philosophy around karma, but the, the nutshell version of it is that when you try to impose your will on others or essentially like take in a transactional way, it always has repercussions. You know, yep. whenever your actions hurt somebody else, they, they will hurt you right back. And usually those actions come from a desire to hurt ourselves, not from a desire to conquer somebody else. And to me, that's the real, that's a real underlying feeling of power. If you've ever met somebody who, wants to be a politician or, you know, kind of really, really wants control uh, people who I'll just, you know, sorry if I throw some shade here, but 
folks who want to be consultants and then want to be CEOs and then want to be startup founders, then want to go do their MBA at Harvard, then want to go do, do this and that. It's just like, what are you looking for in your life, right? Like you're kind of bringing it back to the topic of this podcast that we always like to, to hammer in on is like, be you, you is fly, right? It's like, you have everything that you need and you cannot look externally for the yeah. things that you're missing. You have to look internally. When you look externally, it's like we all have kind of different inclinations. Some of us go to conquer others. Some of us try to accrue as much wealth as possible. And that's like, that's as ugly as eating until you're super, super fucking fat. Like, yeah. what are you doing to yourself? You know what I mean? Like, don't be yeah. a loser, you know, like be, be, be like a normal, happy, cool person. Yeah. You bring up a great point. Like gluttony is in when you use the word gluttony, right? It's supposed to have a negative connotation. But you realize that so much of so many of us are, are chasing gluttony, you know, um, and what do you need to be happy? Do you even ask yourself that question? And, and you bring up a great point about the idea of internally validating yourself through external validation, external validation for the people that you talk about who chase these awards and chase can't ever settle. They're never satisfied with themselves. The rest of the world might even look at them and put them in like a hero category. But these people are, tend to be very miserable, you know, yeah. and very unhappy. Yeah. You know? We grew uh, up in a society that taught us to idolize the people who had the least internally because they yeah. had the most externally. We thought that was a good thing. And finally, the the opinions coming around in society to realize, oh, this is not really the best thing. You know what I mean? Like trying to like, you know, trying to accrue the wealth of Jeff Bezos, probably the worst thing you can do for yourself. Forget about the yeah. world. Forget about impact. Forget about building a business. The, it's a bad thing to do for you. It's yeah. just not going to make you happy. It's going to make you miserable. And so if one per, if a person can recognize the actions that are good for them versus bad for them and act in the actions that are good for them, you really have a great society building and it, it's, you know, it's, it's very effortless, but you, it just requires to your point, the awareness on a daily basis. Hey, what, what's really good for me in this situation in terms of how I see myself and how I want to feel on a day to day, day to day basis, worry less about the money, worry less about the fame, the adulation, the power, the control, whatever might be your vice, you know? And, and the other thing that I just want to toss out is like, you, the vices, the orientation of those vices comes from upbringing. It comes from what you didn't have when you were a young child. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, it's not wrong to have these things. We all have them. We just have to be aware that we have them so that when we notice ourselves pursuing these things, it's a very easy way to let yourself know that you're not happy. Yep. And, and the final thing that I'll say is that what you just said summarized why it is so fruitless to focus on anything except for how to optimize yourself because there are a lot of things that you deal with as a person, as an individual, like you said, that are beyond your control that impact you, your upbringing, you know, maybe your job, your financial situation, your relationship situation in which you have to work to make sure these things continue to grow and you stay happy. When you realize the immensity of that challenge and you embrace it, that's how you find happiness. 
But if you continue to ignore it and keep saying, okay, if I get this degree, then it will lead to more personal happiness. If I get this raise or this promotion, it will lead to this happiness. Oh, if I date this woman who looks like this or, or, or is this smart or this wealthy, then I'm going to be a better person. When you start focusing on those things, each time you achieve those things, your you just your sense of emptiness is greater and greater because you haven't done the work on yourself. You're focused on solving the problem with something external. You know yes. what I mean? Absolutely. And I think it's it's so appropriate to call this segment the psychology of power because it is it's psychological. All of the things that um, one chases when they are looking for more control or power in their life, it's because they feel powerless within. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, to end this with my, with my boy Rumi, I always mention this quote, you know, uh, yesterday I was clever. So I thought I could change the world today. I'm wise. So I'm focusing on changing myself. Um, if we, if we focus there, I think, uh, these concerns that we're facing with power, um, they won't bother you as much because you'll realize that you only have control over what you have control over, which is what you do, how you treat people, how you move, um, and how you try to impact the world around you. There's a, a beautiful track by J. Cole on the exact concept of power called uh, High for Hours that I highly recommend, no pun intended there. Um, he just very, very thoroughly breaks down the entire cycle of power and poke some holes in, you know, the typical argument that, oh, that party's in power. I want to get in power. And yeah. just explains how the real only way to create change is to create change within yourself, to your point, B. 100%. This is a great conversation, man. It's uh, it's always great. Some tough times. Hopefully people um, that are listening are able to take some, take some thoughts from this and um, help themselves through kind of this managing all the challenges and and things that are coming at us um from the external environment um with that said you know just keep st keep on moving stay moving toward your goals toward personal growth um and focus on being you because you know why you was fly how the boys out Was